Hello, and welcome to another Nine Circles audio thing. As always, I'm your host, Buke. And on this episode, I have the pleasure of being joined by Mr. Brandon Corsair, the, however you want to call it, gentleman who runs Nameless Grave Records. I don't know what title to give you, Brandon. So first off, how are you doing today? And what do you identify yourself as just at the label? Hey, I'm doing just fine. Uh, <laughs> I get—I mean, I, it's my label. I started it. Uh, I run it. I own the label, I guess. I co-run it with my buddy, Andrew Lee, uh, who people might recognize from his band Rip to Shreds. Yep. Uh, but it's, it's really, it's, it's my label. I, I'd say that I own the label. There you go. Yeah, I, I didn't want to do you a disservice by saying it wrong. So I wanted to give you. And that's why I'm talking to you today. I interview and I have interviewed hundreds and thousands of artists. I've interviewed very few record label people. Last one I interviewed and him and I do almost a yearly thing is I interview Brian Slagle over at Metal Blade. Yeah. Him and I, him and I talk hockey. Him and I talk, you know, whatever wonderful things Metal Blade's doing, and we we go from there. But I reached out to talk to you, and you've been so cool because coming off of my end-of-year list, one of your artists, the Dungeon Serpent himself, is on your label. And I'm sure you may have been surprised. You may not have been surprised because you know what you have in him, but... Man, that Dungeon Serpent project was something special. And what a what a great artist you have in your repertoire there. Yeah, we were really happy when we were able to pick him up. He we got lucky with that. The guy sort of didn't know what he was doing. You know, it's his first release ever, really. And he had this thing that he tossed up on Bandcamp that just sounded like fucking shit. It was he had, he had had like a buddy of his that was his age and he's young. Yeah. Young. He's really, he's I think 19 this year, but so he had like one of his other teenage buddies. That's like an EDM producer that doesn't listen to fucking metal makes his thing. And he programmed his own drums and it just sounded awful. And I stumbled into it because somebody said, Hey, this band sounds kind of like your band. And so I checked it out. And I thought it had a lot of potential. So I hit the guy up and I was telling him, hey, you know, if your next album doesn't sound like this, I'll release it. And then while we were talking, I kind of got the idea to see if I could have Andrew, who on top of running the label with me and being in his own band that is, you know, doing really well. He's also a really professional, high level um, music producer. And so I had him do a sample like remix of one of these songs. And I had him, I basically forced him to re-record the drums in his own studio because that is one of the things that Andrew has to do co-running a label with me is I can be like, hey, I really want you to do this. <laughs> and so he re-recorded the drums and did this test mix. And I was like, holy shit, this is so fucking good. So we read yes. the whole thing. We had it remastered properly for CD and vinyl. And then we went from there. You know, what I find so cool about this is I'm interviewing you here and correct me if I'm wrong, but 
First off, how long has the label been around? How long has your label been around? And I'll let you I'll tell you why I'm I'm saying what I'm saying here. About four years. Yeah. And that's where I was going with this is that I am interviewing you here and I'm discovering you right as your trajectory is going up. Your project, Dreadcar, is amazing. I bought the you told me, hey, is this gonna be an interview with me and Nameless Grave or a Dreadcar interview? And I said, um, it'll be either, but I checked out your project, bought the vinyl on the fucking spot. Amazing, amazing stuff. So I'm telling you, you, you're talented. You have an, an ear for this stuff. And I just wanted to bring you on and talk about running a little label in 2022, because I have so many damn questions about it. And I, I find it fascinating and you don't you know please do not not take this the wrong way but you don't seem like you know in a older gentleman you seem like a younger guy maybe my age so or maybe younger and it's that's it that makes it even cooler that that you just have this upward trajectory that uh it'd be cool to see what other releases come from you i am significantly younger than you <laughs> that I'm is 20, awesome i'm 26 Good for you. That you know, I hate to be here. I am, you know, dad figure. But good for you being twenty six and saying you got your own metal label. That is 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 pretty fucking cool, man. Yeah, thanks. And so I started it to release my own shitty music, and then it kind of, you know, I guess the benefit of playing in bands is you meet people that. You might not also play other shitty it. music too, and some who play good stuff, right? Yeah, and then you can ask them, like, "Hey, you know, do you want me to release this?" Or they'll ask you. the The very first thing that we did that was not one of my own bands was uh, my buddy Derek's last album, uh, Begrime Exumius, and there is their third album that you know it's on Dark Descent for CD and vinyl, and they had never had it on cassette, so. He, I talked to him and I asked him if I could put it out on tape. Then after that, um, I met the drawn and quartered guys when I was touring through Seattle with drag car. And they asked me if I could release, re-release their first album on tape. And it just sort of slowly spiraled from a couple of cassette releases of my own bands. And then to a couple of cassettes of my buddy's bands. And now to, I'm, I'm trying to poach sometimes bands from other labels with, you know, lots of money behind it. And it's just crazy to me sometimes thinking back that I was really nervous spending a couple hundred bucks <laughs> on a tape release. And that's like <laughs> a rounding error now. Yeah. You know, what do you, you know, I told you that, you know, my listeners know that this is always unscripted. So we're here on a bunch of different things. But what do you think about this revival of tapes? Because I do own cassettes. I buy tapes occasionally. Not like, you know, you people can't see, but you're surrounded in vinyl. Like in my living room, I have a couple of thousand uh, records. I get vinyl records. Cassette tapes, I don't get. Now, I understand if you're a small band, you might not afford the pressing of a, a vinyl but you know better than me. What's up with this cassette revival? Because I saw like Emperor just released a huge cassette box set. Oh, in full disclosure, I don't love it. Uh, I started doing them for exactly the reason that you said. It's cheap. 
um, I still buy tapes. I buy especially demos that haven't made it to other formats. I think it's great for a demo format because you can do a really short run. You can even fucking dub them yourself. Yep. And they're cheap comparatively, not as cheap anymore with some of the tape shortages, but you know, they're no, cheap. Wait, no, hold on. There's a tape shortage. There's not a whole lot of places that are making brand new cassette tapes anymore. Okay. Or- what are, what type of cassette tapes are being made? Are they, are they making metal tapes? Cause I know there's so many different formats. I don't think that anyone's doing metal tapes anymore. I'm not an expert. I'm not like, uh, you know, a particular cassette enthusiast, but yeah. I know that there's very, as far as like the standard, like A, plastic, B, yeah. yeah, like as, as far as those go, I know that there's not a whole lot of places making them. There's not a whole lot of people that are making the actual magnetic tape for those anymore. Uh, and the places that do are completely overloaded. No and when you, when you add on supply chain, the current, you know, supply chain issues affecting everyone tapes are not as cheap as they used to be my last run of 200 tapes cost me more than it would have done to do 300 cds okay and how is the demand for cds now is it totally gone it really depends and it's really hard to predict because sometimes you'll have a release where and a lot of it is genre focused too because different fan bases have different preferences so a lot of older guys 40s 50s that are really into old heavy metal and old death metal they'll still buy cds especially people that are old enough to remember why vinyl and cassettes went away in the first place (laughs) because they don't have this like this vietnam era horror of broken cassette round (laughs) unwound cassettes I think the first time I told my dad I was buying a new cassette, he uh, he spent like 20 minutes just telling me about all of the reasons why. <laughs> it was like that scene from Billy Madison. Stay here. <laughs> you know, stay as long as you can. It's, uh, it's certainly something. Okay. Okay. So... So you, yeah. So, so you running a label, let's, let's talk about that. You know, at, at 26, where you're at, when did you first pick up playing? Was it, was it as a young, young kid? I wish I'd be a much better fucking musician. <laughs> I started when I was uh, 18, right around the beginning of 2014 or the very end of 2013. Okay. I had a buddy in college, my freshman year, living in the dorms that would always be playing guitar and I would bug him to play cool riffs over and over again. And I'd be like, Hey, learn this morbid angel song or Hey, learn this Celtic frost song. And he got so sick of me doing that, that he told me to just buy a guitar and he'd show me how to play. And that was kind of the start of it. Okay. Okay. So you, you weren't the high school guy getting to, you know, to do the whole bit. Cause I don't play any instruments. I'm just a huge fan of heavy music you didn't grow up with the urge to play anything were you in the sports or anything or just it's weird that college is where you discovered it because of of him the i think a lot of it is i i did always play sports growing up i played at some point or another pretty much every sport that there is i the ones i stuck with the longest were soccer and i wrestled in high school okay 
but my sister was always the big musician in the family and she started really young and I think that as a kid I just really saw it as her thing then I never I just never pursued it because we were very different people and then you know ironically enough right around when I went to college she stopped playing instruments because high school band you know fucking the whiplash effect the not my tempo (laughs) you know she said she had fucking flat ptsd flashbacks watching that movie and it really her her school music teachers burned her out on playing music and she just has no interest anymore in it no shit okay so you get the college is pretty pretty big school like thirty thousand people okay okay was was metal always your love yeah well day one because my dad uh you know like we mentioned i'm much younger than a lot of the people into this music and so my dad was getting into metal in the 70s yes and so i i grew up with metal i don't there is no pre-metal for me so it's like my the, my very first recollection of having a favorite band was Slayer when I was like a little kid. My dad got me into Celtic Frost, Rotting Christ, Bolt Thrower, uh, Solitude Eternus. Oh, and man. So okay. I, I, yeah. And I didn't really like develop my own taste until high school, early college. But. You know, that's that's this. This is the stuff that I grew up listening to. At the end of the day, now you developing your own taste and finding your own flavor. You really liked, in a sense. What what was that? What was that like dawning moment for you? Because like me, I I tell the story. The day that Pantera released Re- "Reinventing the the Steel," my friend took me to the record store with him because I had I really wasn't listening to music. Just nineties country. That was about it, and barely little at that. I go with him to the record store. I remember we we go to Best Buy. We're driving back home, reinventing the steels playing, and it's like holy shit! Like fucking, it's like the first time having sex. It's like wow, this is amazing. What was that moment for you when you discovered your? I, I know you say you know you said Dad was Slayer and something, but Brandon, what was like your like holy shit moment? Like because like for example, one doesn't start to appreciate the music you play or like what dungeon serpent does right, right, right out of the, the gates. Yeah. And my dad doesn't either. He's, uh, he's a little bit earlier. So he, you know, he was getting into metal with black Sabbath and stuff. So he, and I said, I said, he showed me rotting Christ and bolt bolt thrower, but you know, he's not like into death metal or black metal. Yeah. So I had, I would say two real moments. The first one is I had, I had heard just on like radio shows my dad would listen to the term death metal a bunch of times. I had no fucking idea what it was. <laughs> so I went on a file sharing site. Yeah, buddy. I yep. put in death metal and I got two albums. I got Dismembers Death Metal and Possessed Seven Churches. <laughs> and putting those on, it was just like, holy shit. <laughs> and that was the last time for three or four years that I listened to anything that had any actual singing in it. There's just nothing but death metal for the rest of high school it is funny you mentioned bolt thrower brandon i remember going over to a friend's house when i was like a sophomore in high school on the football team and he played um bolt thrower and i was like oh god get 
get this off my ears, please. This is horrible. <laughs> now I I can't get enough. Like now, my God, you know they played Maryland Death Fest years back here in my backyard. But man, I would love I would have given anything to see Bolt Thrower now and to listen to him now. Okay, so so your your college experience comes around and you you know start playing and 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 stuff like that after you've had this dawning moment were you surrounding yourself with 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 fellow metalheads in college because see me unfortunately i went to college drank too much party failed out i didn't get to really experience the college life were you able to find like-minded metalheads at, at your school that was a pretty relatively big school size wise not really uh metal is uh it's still underground <laughs> It's not, yeah, and especially the kind of stuff that we listen to, it's just, it's an older fan base, and so, uh, I mean, I would, I wore metal shirts all through college, I met in the dorms a couple of people, uh, that buddy that I mentioned that taught me how to play guitar was out of metal and guitar within like a year of my freshman year, he doesn't, he sold his guitars, he doesn't listen to metal anymore, Um but I had another buddy who played bass briefly in my very first band that I still keep in touch with that I met in the dorms. And uh, yeah, that's, that's really it. I didn't really, I didn't meet a lot of people in college, through college. You know, I went to shows and stuff. I met people there. But I didn't meet really anyone in, at school that was in the metal. Had you grown up, you know, you're in the Seattle area now, the greater Seattle area now. Is that where you were born and raised? I grew up in the L.A. area. Okay, you grew up in the L.A. area. Okay. Um, growing up in the L.A. area, you know, the Bay Area thrash thing is huge. Well, it was. You know, was, was. Was Dad into that at all? He likes his music slow. Yeah, I mentioned Black Sabbath, and that's not for so like Pentagram and stuff, right? I my his favorite band when I was growing up was Sleep. Oh, super slow. That's I I distinctly remember how much I fucking hated Funeral Doom when I was like ten. Hey, come around, but I uh, I haven't. So I give you credit. I have tried to get into Dope Smoker and stuff. I can't. Maybe if I uh, dabble in the hobby of uh, smoking dope, maybe I will get it. But I still don't understand sleep. Um, maybe I need to. Un- maybe I need to just need to chill out more and just let the music take me. Maybe. I mean, uh, Holy Mountains just uh, Black Sabbath, but maybe a little heavier. That's that's a good starting spot if you have. Uh, that's a that's a great point. I I've never thought of that. Um, Okay, so you start playing. When did you get into the Dreg Car? Or was that what that wasn't your 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 first band? No. Oh, so, and I mentioned I'll circle back a little because I mentioned that I had two real moments. Oh yes, when I yes. got into this music. The first yes. one I only listened to death metal for years. The second one was I was please on power metal. Please power metal. Stumbled onto Slaufeg. Oh, okay. And it was high passage, low passage. And it absolutely fucking blew my mind. Like I said, death metal blew my mind. But there's a reason that I go by Brandon Corsair with 
that being from the Slavic song Highway Corsair. The this is my freshman year of college, and that's probably half of what I listened to the next couple of years was just nothing but Slaufeg. What what album is that off of? So Highway Corsair is off of the first album, which is just called Lord Weir Slaufeg. High Passage, Low Passage, which is the one that got me into the band and heavy metal at the same time, is off of Traveler. I have to admit that I... I don't listen. I've never really listened to them. What was it about them that that's I'm so cool. You just mentioned them because out of the hundreds of thousands of interviews I've done, Brandon, I can't think of another individual mentioning them. Well, that's too bad. (laughs) Uh, I don't know what it was. I think some of it is my dad has always had, a shocking disdain for higher pitch singers for someone that is as into Dio and Ozzy as he is. <laughs> and, you know, Mike Scalzi, Slopek singer is a baritone and he has this really, this really rough uh, charismatic voice. That's just not, it's not like almost anyone. He's, he has a very unique, distinctive personality with his singing. And the guitar work is just so fucking crazy. It's unhinged. The There's this raw, frenetic energy surrounding, especially the early years of that band, that is just so special. It's so wild. And High Passage, Low Passage is off of a concept album about sci-fi dogmen. And so there's also this nerdy aspect, which as a lifelong sci-fi and fantasy enthusiast, I was all yeah, about buddy. I, I was mostly listening to fucking death metal, which is with exceptions, not as focused on that stuff. No, it's, it's just, a, you know, there are death metal is just like a horror. Yeah. Our, our death metal is like a horror movie put to music. Yeah. But it just, it changed everything. The, there's a, my first band, since that's what the question was actually about, my first band was just a couple years later. I could barely play guitar. And it was with the, the bassist buddy that I mentioned that I met in the dorms. And that band was called Skyway Corsair from a lyric from High Passage, Low Passage. Because why not? Why not? And uh, ironically, that band did not sound anything like Slaupeg. I was listening to a lot of obscure epic metal at the time uh trotal dr doolittle stuff that nobody has heard of yeah you're blowing my mind i'm in this i'm in the scene deep and i don't even know them and then i was also listening to a lot of like scorpions and rainbow and uh so i was i was kind of trying to make like repetitive epic heavy metal in the vein of like like the main riff off of like sales of caron just played over and over again this hypnotic and repetitive that band didn't work out, but I did use those songs later almost almost completely with very little altering um, with a completely different lineup for a different band for a heavy metal band that I played called Serpent Rider. And so that first Serpent Rider demo, even though it started after Drag Car, as a band is actually the oldest songwriting that I've done that has made it to a release. Wow. Wow. Okay. Why... 
I have to mention this. Why do you think Slough is not Slough is not mentioned more? You know, it's almost like to me the first time I saw what's it, uh, Sithrith Ungol, wherever that band. I know I'm butchering the name of it. Sirith Ungol. Yeah, yeah, It's uh. You know, like it's a name that has a ravenous fan base, but it's still so very, you know, kind of small nowadays. Uh, some of it could be the crowd that you're interviewing. If you're not, if you're interviewing like people in death metal bands, uh, as much as it is slowly starting to get more popular, there's just not a lot of overlap between the death metal and the heavy metal communities. Yeah, you're uh, true. That's a good point. And then Slaufag especially, his, they started at the wrong time. They, they always, through the 90s, their peers would make fun of them for playing heavy metal instead of something cool. Because heavy metal was done in the 90s. There were still bands doing it, like Slaufag, but not a lot of them. There weren't a lot of labels doing it. There weren't festivals. There was just, there wasn't a lot going on. And they put out all of their best stuff, really, before... The entire modern fan base for this stuff was either into heavy metal or for the older people back into heavy metal because a lot of the older people that are into heavy metal now took a long detour and were not listening to it in 2002, 2003. So, okay, so you start going down this path. Was it hard to find like-minded guys who were on the same way who just wanted to play metal yeah no i mean the if you look at my lineups for my bands on like the metal archives Mm -hmm. they don't tell half the picture and even then drag car has been through just on the metal archives probably six or seven drummers and three or four bassists in reality it's closer to 10 or 11 drummers uh there's just especially coming from the la scene la people for the most part really only want to do stuff that is likely to get them onto a label or likely to get them onto a cool show or a cool festival and so la if you want to play bay area style thrash you'll find a lineup you want to play whatever the trendiest type of new death metal that there is. Like if I wanted to go move back to LA and start it, you know, like a maggot stop style band, I would find a lineup, you know, instantly, but I never wanted to do anything like that. Part of my whole thing is that if there's a bunch of people doing it, I just don't see the point because someone's doing it better than me. So why bother? I make something, you know, my own music that I want to listen to that isn't out there already. Okay, and now that's a great that's that's a great point you bring up. Is that something you also value as uh, the owner of a record label? To some extent, yeah. Um, I just just as a listener, because as a rec- as a record label owner, when I'm picking up bands, I'm not picking up bands usually from the perspective of can I sell this, which would be the wise way to run my record label instead i run it from the perspective of how much do i like this i got you i thought dungeon serpent was gonna fucking flop to circle back to that i thought who is fucking listening to bands that sound like desultory and intestine ballism 
in 2021, which it, which it was last year that I put that out, I thought I'm going to lose so much fucking money on this. But I really loved the album, so I did it anyway. Yeah. And I got lucky, and it blew up. It made Decibels top 30, uh, which blew my mind. Because which is fucking crazy. I'm on Reddit a lot, and I'm on the, the metal subreddit. The love for that album, it, the voting for that album was off the charts for something that unheard of, like that off the radar. It was so cool to watch play out, to see that, that decibel list, to see other year. It, it, it made my year end list. When I told my staff about it, they're like, wait, who? <laughs> like hey, who's this like what it ends with a 11 minute song that is probably one of the best songs i've heard in de- uh, decades it's amazing a- amazing release that it's so so going into it when do you just decide that you know what brandon just just do it what would because you know what you they always say in life some things if you want it you just you have to chase it if if you want to be an astronaut, yeah, you know, minus some things out of your control, but chase it as far as you can fucking take it. You have chased it enough to where you own a label now. When was your moment when you said, you know what? I am going all in and I am doing this. Uh, I think it was... It's hard to say. Uh, I guess it was around when Andrew decided to help me out with the label because I had complained to him a few times that, you know, vinyl is fucking expensive as hell these days. It's sky high. You can barely afford it. And I had complained to him that there's all these fucking cool releases that merit reissuing or new bands that merit label support. And I just couldn't afford it. And so Andrew offered to join forces and to co-fund releases with me as long as he liked them anyway. And so we, once I had two people's money basically going into this and not just my own, suddenly that meant that, this release that was going to cost me three grand suddenly cost 1500 bucks. And I could take the plunge if it's 1500 bucks, a lot easier than three grand. And so we did, uh, we started off, we did a reissue of a cardiac arrest album, which was Haven for the insane, which hadn't made it onto vinyl before, which blew my mind and the band even owned the rights to it. So I didn't even have to license it. And we went from there and I just sort of went, fuck it. I don't, I don't really drink. I don't smoke. I don't yep. do drugs uh, anymore. And so, you know, it's like my big, my big hobby is metal. So I was like, what the fuck am I spending my money on? So I saved up and we did that cardiac arrest reissue. And then we just kept going. How, you know, I see it from the artist standpoint at how Bandcamp is, with how many releases are hitting Bandcamp on a daily basis. How is it, 
how hard is it as a label to stand out to be a name that it, or you might not even care about being a household name i think that it's difficult and i think that if i was going to start a label and i didn't have the connections that i have from playing in bands if i didn't have the reputation from the bands from my magazine from years of writing for different blogs and stuff if i didn't have all of this kind of contributing to my name recognition that i wouldn't be able to run a label so like when i reached out to dungeon serpent even something like that the guy already knew who i was he had already i found out afterwards and i verified by checking his band camp but he had already bought the drag car album months before i contacted him you know he knew exactly who i was and stuff like that makes it a lot easier for me to do cool things reissues um cool reissues help get my name out there working with new bands that are friends uh a lot of it would be unattainable if i was starting from scratch and i didn't have any reputation and i think it would be nearly impossible to even get to the point where i'm already at starting with so much competition okay now you say working with friends you know, they say don't mix, you know, friends or lovers in business and stuff like that. Have there been times when you've had to say, hey, I'm sorry, whoever, Mike or whoever, I'm just making up a name. I'm sorry, but, you know, no, we're, 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 we're friends. Is it hard or do your friends maybe appreciate your honesty that you can come to them with and just say, hey, I, I can't put this out or just because or do you get the reverse of that where people think just because you're friends, they almost expect that you're going to put it out for them. I think most people get it. Um, and I, I don't if somebody's my friend that is unrelated to my perception of their music and unrelated to my willingness to put out their music, if their music sucks, like, I'm sorry buddy or not it's not happening and for that exact same reason i don't play in bands with friends anymore for the most part like oh. friends because i've had that go bad before because you can kick someone out for never showing up to practice if you met them at a fucking concert you can't kick out your buddy that you went to his wedding that you were a groomsman out of your band yeah and so with the label you know I have not had a bad experience releasing a friend's music and I haven't had any pushy friends trying to force their stuff onto me. And of course I've had friends ask me if I want to release something and I've turned them down, but it's never been an issue. Uh, What's your, okay. Four years in, right. You've been doing this for four years as a label, right? Yeah. What's your, your biggest misstep so far? Early on, well, biggest misstep. Probably just promoting in my own friends groups and circles a little bit too much early on because to this day, I have groups that I'm in that I just can't recommend or I can't really promote my own stuff at all because they're just there's 
even years later, they're sick of it from how much I overdid it right away when I was excited and is a brand new thing. Because at the end of the day, you really rely on the very lowest level, the people that you personally know to help you promote and push your releases as a band or as a label or as an author or anything that you do. It is the people closest to you that should be your biggest supporters. And I really regret that I convinced some of my friends not to release or not to check stuff out that I was doing because I just, I overdid it. And I wish I could take that back. Is that excitement still there though? Oh yeah. That's all I want to talk about half the time. That is awesome. That is, that is, is cool. Like, but like, you know, you see how much, like my inbox, I wake up every day to, you know, 15, 20, 30 PR emails and everything. How is your business inbox every day? Are you waking up to artists reaching out to you nonstop? Are you not able to get the stuff? Like, is it, are you over your head some days or is it still exciting going through everything? Full disclosure, I don't and I never have listened to any of the promos that I get as a writer or any of the artists that submit stuff to me unless they're both their headline and their first paragraph are extremely compelling. Wow. It never happens. So wow, okay. know who they are because I recognize their fucking name or one of the bands that they've been in. And I go, okay, I should give this a listen. I'm not listening to the random shit that people email me. I figure if their stuff is good enough that, that it's it has some labels and they're emailing it to people that someone else already picked it up because I'm not, I'm not metal blade. I'm not Brian Slagle who has <laughs> had, you know, every fucking big band under the sun. Yeah. I'm a relatively new label and I know that nobody is sending stuff to me before they send it to 20 bucks spin or profound lore. That's, you know what, buddy, that's, I am so glad, Brandon, you just said that because we'll get to that, but that's what I see your future being. You're the next 20 buck. I hope so, but but I don't want to listen to bands that I'm their 15th option. I that's why when I when I mentioned earlier releasing friends bands or friends of friends that know who I am, I can release stuff before these bands shop it around to labels. Or I can hit them up when they do a demo and offer them a bunch of cool stuff so that they'll send it straight to me and I can pick them up before they have a chance to write an album. Because otherwise, I couldn't meet my own quality control standards. Because I just, I refuse to put out shitty music just because it's there. And I think that's a mistake a lot of new labels make is they're just too excited to be a label. And so they'll go, okay, this is fine. I'll release this. And then nobody fucking follows the label because all they put out is mediocre garbage. So you would rather have, so what would I take away from that is you would rather have small quality over quantity. Yeah. I'd rather release no new music and only have to do reissues than release. A but that still excites you. If I go and I can say I have worked with like, to me, it's exciting to go. I've worked with X, Y, Z, you know, some of my favorite bands and it's not as exciting perhaps as putting out new music, but like I stole a riff from nasty savages gladiator for the drag car album. 
and I've released Nasty Savage on my label. I mean, like, that is just as satisfying in a lot of ways as putting out something like Dungeon Serpent because it's like they're on my fucking copy mark. You know what, my friend? You just brought up a great point, too. I answered my own question here based on, and you, you, you speak very well. I want to, I want to get that out there. You, I could talk to you for days. You, you, you speak very well. You're very well spoken about this. Um, somebody on Spotify made a, for fans of dungeon serpent playlist. It's a great playlist. Was it, uh, his playlist that the guy made himself that you're thinking of? Could be friends, friends, Frey, Freyenzy, Frazy, F R E Y N Z E Y is the username. Huh. Maybe not. But it's 14 hours long. And it starts with like intestine, blaism. Yeah. Stuff like that. So I could see the excitement in reissues because just going through this playlist, like I'm saying, I'm seeing like I listen to like Eyes of Purgatory. These are stuff I have never heard of before. Sacrilege. And I, I have never heard of some of this stuff on here. And it's like, man, I could see the excitement in re-releasing some of this stuff now because like how excited I've been over finding like a Spotify playlist like, like this. Yeah. And, you know, I, I mostly avoid the easy stuff like, Anybody, any asshole can go out there, hop onto Metal Blade's uh, available licenses list, which they will, their lawyer will email you if you can track down their lawyer's email and email them, which I guess not everyone can do. But if you get that far, any asshole can throw money at reissuing something that's been reissued 50 times. I mean, you look at albums that come out or that came out 10 years ago. And you'll see 16 labels worked on that album because it's just, it was licensed to every different territory. But what I find exciting is like you mentioned, intestine ballism is one of the things on just on uh, dungeon serpents list. Uh, me and Andrew are reissuing their second album on vinyl. And it's never been on vinyl. Oh, ever. no shit. I got to get that. But yeah. So What's their like second one banquet or in anatomy banquet. Oh. Anatomy, unfortunately, someone got there first, or else I would have done that too. Oh man, Banquet in the Darkness. For those people listening right now, please do yourself a favor and go check out both of these albums. And in Anatomy of the Beast and Banquet in the Darkness, you have to go out and check these albums out. I was totally unaware of them. Totally unaware. They're a fucking great band. How do you find them, them, though, buddy? Well, stuff like that is like that niche of like really melodic death metal that's still death metal. It's not, you know, Children of Bodom, yep, power metal with fucking, you know, growls or whatever. That stuff's pretty niche. And so people that are into that stuff tend to always be looking for and recommending it to their buddies that are also looking for that stuff. And so, you know, the rabbit hole goes pretty deep. But, you know, especially bands like Intestine Ballism, that's like one of the first stops. If you start asking your buddy, like, hey, I really like, you know, the third or fourth Dismember album, or I really like Desultory, what's some music like that? And someone will go, oh, check out Intestine Ballism, check out 
you know, fucking early septic flush, check out horrified from Greece, whatever. And they'll just go down the list. And so, it, you know, over the years, I've run into a lot of bands like this. Okay. Now, if you can walk me through this, this playbook, maybe, you know, if contract talks are still happening or something, but like you're, you're doing banquet in darkness. How does, how does this happen? Do you, first off, how do you, randomly find a member for these bands in this day and age so for this one um andrew is pretty good friends or at least in contact with regularly i don't know how how buddy buddy they are i don't know if they're bros (laughs) he's friends with naru from obliteration records out of japan and naru plays in a band called butcher abc and I would hate to be corrected if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that one of the other guys in Butcher ABC plays an intestine ballism and that Naru got Andrew in contact because Andrew spearheaded this particular one. I spearhead some of the other ones. So usually our first step, something like that, friend of a friend, we'll get in touch with the band. We'll ask them if they're even interested. Then at that point, if they're interested, we have to find out who owns the rights. So for intestine ballism for this particular album, whatever fucking obscure label did their very first two albums, sold the rights to a music conglomerate out of England called Cherry Red. And so then Cherry Red, we had to hit up them and talk to their lawyer and find out how much it would cost to license this reissue. And so we were only able to get a North American license, which is not uncommon for these older greedy labels because they want to be able to license it to every territory separately. So we were able to pay a fucking tremendous amount of money. It was ridiculously unfairly expensive, which is probably why it's never been on vinyl. And we were able to license this release and now we're putting it out. And so that is the flip side of vinyl being as expensive as it is now is it costs more money to make, but you can sell it for more money. And so if this was 2007, 2008, and I was pressing vinyl, I was selling it for 15 bucks, it's harder to justify an extra dollar or two or three per record to cover this fucking huge license fee. But now it's like, I know people will pay it. People are used to paying a lot for records now because records are fucking expensive now. And so we're still not going to make a whole lot of money off of this because it was so fucking expensive but we can afford to jack up the price you know at least a couple bucks a record and pay for it now that we paid for the license okay but what i'm gaining from talking from you is that yes you're not doing this for free but the joy of getting this out to people like me who want it is almost kind of payment enough right well full disclosure i don't really care if people like stuff i do it because i think it's cool so for this one no we wouldn't have done it if we thought that no one would buy it just because it's so tremendously expensive but at the end of the day if our only customer was some asshole who's going to buy all of them and his sole reason for buying them was he hated it so much. He wanted to pile up the records and burn them. I don't care. Cause I'm doing it for my <laughs> own enjoyment. And as long as I think that I can break even on an expensive reissue, I'll do it. 
And I do a lot of reissues that I don't make any money on just because I think it'll be really cool. So you don't mind taking risks? No. Um, So you're the Elon Musk of the metal music world. There, there is an Elon Musk of the metal music world, and I won't say who it is so that I don't get hate mail. But it's not me. We take risks, absolutely, but we balance it out by doing stuff that makes financial sense. Because you only really need, because of the profit margins, you only really need one release, maybe out of every five or six, to actually make money. Because one really, one Dungeon Serpent funds a year of smaller bands and i don't want to call anybody out on my label that's i would consider a small poor seller because that might make them feel bad of course one dungeon serpent will fund several releases okay yeah perfect example you look at other labels you look at like one of my most beloved bands right now i just saw them live this past weekend 20 bucks spin had a hit i think with chemists when they joined their label their first two or three releases that 20 bucks spin put out, I think they're some of the best metal released in years. People may have various opinions on them. I I, I don't care. Uh, Chemist is no longer on 20 bucks spin. Chemist is on, is it Nuclear Blast now, if I'm correct? What do you do to not have a chemist leaving? Like you do with Dungeon Serpent. How do you protect your assets if we're like a sports team here? I don't. I encourage them to find a bigger label and leave. Do you because really? I'm not I'm not Dave Adler at 20 bucks fan living off the label. I just I'm not big enough yet. If I ever get big enough, my first priority is paying for my employee because I have one guy that does all of my shipping. I have a good day job. I don't need to make a living off of this. And I think that it would risk the financial integrity of my decision-making when I pick up releases. What I want is I want to support bands that could use the support. I don't want to steal some band from 20 bucks Ben, who is, uh, has a fucking much bigger marketing budget than I do. <laughs> I want to steal a band from some shitty small label that is going to ruin them and not promote it very well and steal all their money. I want to, and if anything, treating bands well benefits me in the long run too, because then if Dungeon Serpent goes on to a bigger label, which, spoiler alert, they sold like a jillion copies of that album, I'm not going to be able to retain them. If they go on to a bigger label, I'm buddies with them. They're appreciative of everything that I did with their album, you know, scouting them out, remixing it making them from a teenager's bedroom band into an internationally recognized successful group, they already said, even though I don't contractually own the rights, nor would I seek to, they said that as long as I keep it in print, I am free to keep repressing their first album forever. And they're not going to go somewhere else as long as I keep paying them royalties, which I have. That is cool. So if they go, if they go on to a bigger label, that's going to mean more attention on the band. And that's going to mean I'm going to sell more copies of this first record. And that's, I think that when labels get jealous, like I can understand the instinct because I certainly feel that way, but 
it's important to let go and recognize that it will only help your own label grow if a bigger label is snatching up your bands. You know, what do you say when the relationship, when you, or like when, when you and a girlfriend break up, if you love them, you got to let them go. <laughs> exactly the same way. <laughs> you know, I am so glad you made that point because that shows your true love of the music you know it's like that that story we shall cut them in half it's like no i can't dare to see them cut be cut in half you they shall have both of them you know they should have it i can't bear to witness it then no they're the rightful owner of it because nobody would want to see harm come to them you don't want to see harm come to dungeons you want them to move on to bigger and better things yeah, but that, but I can understand at the same time why a bigger label who does have the resources to properly support their bands might not feel that way after they spend a large investment turning an unknown band into a powerhouse. Because for me, I'm making enough money off of Dungeon Serpent that I have wildly exceeded my greatest dreams for that band. <laughs> but if I was Dave Adler watching some brand new fucking podunk demo band that I picked up out of the fucking stew and I made them an international touring band and I dumped tens of thousands of dollars into them, watching them leave after one album would be painful, which is I why a lot that. of these labels have two, three, four album contracts in the first place is because they had too many of their bands jump ship. And sometimes you lose money at that point because if you're one of these really big labels, you think long-term. You don't think, I hope this album sells well. You think, I hope that their third album sells really well. Because you're, that's that's why these contracts are seven years after your last album's over, you get your rights back. It's because you're making a very long-term commitment to these bands to have a stable business relationship. Brandon, what excites you more? Playing? Doing your own stuff or, or doing the record label stuff? By far, playing and doing my own stuff. The record label keeps me busy, but, you know, it stresses me out in a way that playing in bands does not. It's, I've come close to burnout a bunch of times. There's a reason I mentioned that I have a guy that does all my shipping. I almost closed down the label because I was working a full day and then spending two or three or four hours a night shipping shit. No shit. Oh, wow. Okay. Me. Uh, it stresses me out the money because there are, there's a lot of money involved at this point. And if something went wrong, it could really fuck me. And not just on a business side, because, you know, this isn't a fucking, you know, it's not a, a fucking like conglomerate where it's all the businesses and the investors money in it. And I can walk off scot-free if something happens. It's my fucking money. It's your money. Yeah. And so, you know, creating my own music and doing my own music and playing and doing stuff is far more rewarding. Though the label is still very, it's fun and rewarding and I'm proud of it, of course. It's just, it's not as good as, or as relatively stress-free as enjoying my own music. Do you, now, the thing I'm getting from you also, you know, you like taking risks, at least, you know, as a label, you know, you, you go after these, the bands you do. Do you take risks with your own music? Yeah, absolutely. They usually don't 
pay off in any way other than making me happy. But, but I'm always but at the end of the day, isn't that what it's about? Yeah. And I think that people that try to play their band straight or whatever playing metal in current year are misguided because there's no money left in this scene. There's no rock star fan dumb left where you're going to fucking sell, you know, a jillion records, make it to the top of the billboard and tour, you know, playing stadiums. It's just, that's all gone. And I think that people who play a very safe road trying to make their band big, like maybe they'll succeed even, but it's just, it's so fucking boring. And being in a big band now is not like it was in the eighties where you were a big band. It's like being in a big band now is I can afford to have a, a small apartment in Florida. I mean, it's like, there's just, there's not the amount of money anymore. It's no mistake that the biggest band in all of death metal is cannibal corpse. And they make, a solid middle-class living the i don't i i don't see the point in selling your soul to play boring safe music so that you can make a middle-class living it's just why does okay so for those for those people who don't know drag car let's let's talk about them for a couple minutes what how would you describe your prod your music like if merciful fate played death metal that's a that's a spot on. Yeah, spot on. I I love it. It instantly when I first heard at the crossroads of infinity, I boom, instant buy, instant. Um the you know, that album was released in 2020. At least that's what uh, it's uh, I'm seeing here in my 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 notes. Do we expect anything more from you this coming year, months ahead? We have a seven-inch split coming out at some point. I don't know if it'll end up being this year because we're waiting on the other band to finish their side at this point. Um, but we we have one song from that, and then we're going to play a couple of shows in October, which is pretty far away. We haven't even started rehearsing yet because there's a lot of lineup overlap with Drawn and Quartered, and we're getting ready to play Maryland Death Fest next month yes you are yes you are I'll, I'll be there and i'll see you there but that's that's where my rehearsing is going into it's not rehearsing for drag car shows that are months away it's rehearsing for death fest we have an album that's like half written at this point but i wrote a lot of that during the pandemic when i was sitting at home by myself and rehearsing for shows and getting ready for shows takes away a lot of your time once I'm, you know, like I'm not really practicing at home anymore for drawing a quarter. I'm just doing it at band practice because I'm good with the songs. Uh, but now I'm also learning, I'm finishing the set list for Serpent Rider, which is another band that I plan so that we can get that gig ready so that we can play some stuff. Then I have to relearn the drag car set. And so if it was still the pandemic at its worst and I was just stuck at home, I'd say, hell yeah, new drag car album this year. But instead, it's just it takes longer to write an album when you're rehearsing all the time, getting ready for shows. But we have the split song, at least. And that's done. How do you like your your experience with Drawn and Quartered? They have a history. They're older than I am. The, <laughs> yeah. the, band, the band literally is older than I am. 
Uh, it's amazing. It's, uh, it's boosted my musicianship in ways that I never could have achieved playing at my own level because I'm playing at their level. I'm playing with guys who've been playing death metal since before I was born, who are in a significantly more technically accomplished band than anything I've ever written and having to learn their material and play it tightly has just made me a much better player. And on top of that, I, I had always swore I was never going to join another band because I just don't find it very fun to learn written music. I've never been like YouTube covers, covers songs on, you know, it's like, it's just boring, but they're one of my favorite death metal bands ever. They're, they've always been one of my favorite death metal bands. And so it was impossible to turn that down. And so it's just really fucking cool playing some of my favorite death metal songs ever with some of my favorite musicians. And as a fan, drummer, I can't sorry. see him play now. <laughs> as your as a as a fan, what's your uh, favorite album of of uh, of? I guess I could say yours now that that that, that you play. <laughs> the my favorite of my own releases. Or no, drawn and quartered. Just I was trying to make a Hail, a, a Hail joke. Darkness. Definitely yeah. Hail Infernal Darkness. I like all of it. I love all of it. Hail Infernal Darkness is, I think, the 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 height of that particular band and they would some of them at least i i haven't quizzed every member but some of them would agree and that's a lot of the times when we're talking about new material what the guys will say in the room is you know i want this to be the next hail infernal darkness now when did you join because you weren't on their their album last year were you no i moved up to seattle last year and so i had I had started Kelly from Drawn and Quartered had joined both Drag Car and Serpent Rider as like remote internet things with no intention of ever playing live. And when I told him I was moving up to Seattle, he said, okay, so we'll have to find lineups for those bands so we can play live. And then you can do second guitar in Drawn and Quartered. Uh, and so I got up here and we started rehearsing. And then last year he had me start learning uh you know a while after i moved up he had me start learning the drone and quartered set list and then of course i had to then learn a completely different set list once i got into the room with the other guys because as it turns out kelly's original set list did not have a whole lot of overlap with the actual set list but it was it was late last year that i started uh really learning the songs did you find it hard coming into a such an established band uh found it hard to learn the songs they're all harder than anything i could play <laughs> i had to practice a lot but you know i i mean i'm at kelly's house a lot because we're in three bands together and even before i met the other drum and quarter guys i had been at his house you know every single fucking week to work on the other bands and you know they're they're nice guys and they're welcoming so it's not you know there's a dynamic there obviously that long predates me but at the same time i'm not walking in there and going oh shit you know what the fuck am i doing here you know it's i'm, I'm there to play death metal and that's what i do 
Okay, now a couple questions and I'll let you go. I could keep talking to you for hours. As a man who has, you know, done a lot in the label world now, you know, starting out, you've already chasing some some things. You know, you're chasing things musically. What's something you'd like to do that you haven't done yet? Is there a like style of music you'd like to play? Is there is uh, something you know you'd like what would what would you like to do that you haven't done yet i'd really like to play europe tour europe uh drawn and quarter did some shows there the other year before i joined unfortunately that playing and, europe uh, would would be fun <laughs> that's i've been to europe to go to keep it true which is a big heavy metal festival in germany and that would be that's like the peak for me of heavy metal is playing Keep It True. And so that would be my goal with Serpent Rider, definitely would be to play Keep It True at some point. But I've, I've accomplished a lot of things that I never thought that I would. A lot of my bucket list stuff is already gone. You know, Serpent Rider is on my top choice label, which is No Remorse Records. Uh, Drawn and Quartered is playing Maryland Death Fest, which was my bucket list death metal festival, obviously. And this may be the last year they, they say that Death Fest may be happening. Yeah, this, if, I had to, if I had to play one year, only, one year only, this was the one to do it. It was the final crescendo. Uh, what do you think of Death Fest possibly packing it up? I think it makes sense. It's I know that it's expensive as fuck right now getting in new bands because I have buddies in international bands that tour the United States that every year have complained since I got into, since I started playing in bands and talking to them that have played every single year that it's always more expensive with each new year to get your visa to come in here and play legally. And given the stress of COVID, I mean, I had a tour canceled that I was supposed to play and just that was stressful and frustrating i can't imagine the stress of running a big festival where you have you're fucking hurting the fucking cats of dozens of bands that some of which are gonna have fucking huge egos i mean we're there they had morbid angel booked who dropped and they have deicide playing still what fucking bigger bigger egos are there in fucking death metal than Morbid Angel and Deicide, who are legendary assholes. <laughs> like legendary yes. bands, great yes. bands, but they're fucking assholes. They yes, they are. Yes, they are. Yes. They deserved it because they're fucking Deicide and Morbid Angel. Like, I wouldn't want to play a show with them, but if anyone gets to be an asshole, it's Trey. He earned it. Glenn, too, right? Lesser extent, but yeah. <laughs> I like Deicide a lot, but they didn't put out Altars of Madness. Yes. I'm more of a Covenant guy myself, but that's for a different day. Number two. <laughs> okay. Last question I always like to end with here. If there's a reflection personally for you and what you play and all the different projects you're in, what song would you say, song or album is the best reflection of what Brandon is putting out now? I'd say that drag car album at the crossroads, it's a, uh, it's an extremely, uh, what's the way to put this contrarian album and that it is 
jamming together not only heavy metal with death metal, which is already a financially unwise move for a band that wants to go anywhere, do anything, or be on a label. But on top of that, the death metal that I'm jamming it with is all stupid, obscure bands that people don't like in the first place, uh, or bands that people like but are relatively unknown that don't never played, they were never even popular in their own time. And that's what I'm all about when I write music is I love deicide, I love immolation, I love all of these great popular bands. But I feel like those are very well-trodden paths, including now by one of the bands that I'm in, by Drawn and Quartered, who did that stuff better than I ever could. So my whole thing is this contrarian need to make stupid music that is not like what anybody else is doing, that is as far away as I can think of from what anyone else is doing, and that is almost limiting in how far away it is from what everyone else is doing because that's what I like to do and to me that's what that drag car album is is it's full of just constant soloing uh it's full of heavy metal parts I mentioned I stole a riff from Nasty Savage the the last song starts with a very direct tribute to Mark Shelton from Manila Road who passed away a few years ago on my birthday uh you know we just that's that's that band for me I, I sing a little bit on it at the intro of one of the songs. And that's what's your favorite song? How about this? Now to get more sp- specific, best reflection of uh, the band on the album track wise. Uh, definitely beyond despair. It's, it has a couple of riffs on there that I look back and I go, how the fuck did I write that riff? Where did that even come from? That are just, and I think compositionally, it's one of the coolest things I've ever done. It, it flows in a way that I'm really proud of, and I'm really happy with it. There you go. Brandon, for, for, for everybody listening, again, you are Nameless Grave Records. You are Drag Car. You are Drawn and Quartered. You are not the Elon Musk of metal. That is somebody else who is unnamed. Correct. <laughs> It, it has been a pleasure talking to you, sir. I, I, uh, hopefully we can stay in contact, uh, cause you and I have a lot of things in common and, uh, we can keep a little friendship going and hopefully I can get that, uh, nameless grave. You can maybe give me a little inside scoop when I can buy that, <laughs> when that, uh, dungeon serpent, uh, comes in. Yeah, sure. I'll see um, you at MDF. Uh, you, <laughs> you, you certainly will, buddy. Best of luck. Keep staying safe, and I will give you the the final say. Anyone that doesn't like Saxon is an asshole. And we will end with that. Thank you, Brandon. Perfect. And if you are, are we done recording? Hold on.